Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to do what we do every single Sunday morning. I want you to take it. I want you to hold it up and repeat after me. This is God's Word. I believe it is true. It shows me how to know God and how to live for God. It has the power to change my life. Now take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I believe that every one of us have what I would call red letter days. Those are special days in our life that we will never forget. They will always be etched in our mind. They will always be etched in our memory. For me, I have a number of them, but but the very first one that is etched in my mind is my wedding day. I will never forget my wedding day, standing there at the front of the church, looking back anxiously for my, my now wife to walk down that aisle, and then to have the privilege of being able to hold her hand and share vows with her. That was an exciting day for me. I remember details of that day. That's a red letter day for me. Another red letter day is the day that my first child was born. John was born. Now, before you say anything else, understand the birth of all of our children were red letter days. But that firstborn was unique. It was special because that was the very first time that I had the opportunity to see a child being born. And it was my child. And to see the gift of life taking place. And then to be able to cut the cord. And, and then to be able to hold my firstborn, my son, up in the air and pray over him. That was a red letter day. I remember the details of that day. How it transpired. What happened. It's a day that will forever be etched in my mind. But without a doubt, the greatest day that I've ever experienced is the day that I was saved, the day that I accepted Jesus. You see, that day, too, is etched in my mind. And the events of that day I will never forget. I don't remember what the preacher was preaching on, but I can remember where I was sitting. I can remember the Spirit of God convicting me for the very first time that I was lost, that I had sinned against a, a holy God and I needed to be saved. And when the time of commitment was given, I literally ran down that aisle crying like a baby because I was overcome with the conviction that I was a sinner and I didn't deserve God's love. And that morning, I prayed, and as best I knew how, I asked God to forgive me for all my sin. I trusted Him to be my Savior. And again, as best I understood, I gave Him my life. And after I prayed, I've got to tell you, I was changed. My life was changed. My future was altered, and my eternity was forever 
secured. Now, don't hear me saying that from that moment on, I never failed. I never messed up. I had ups and downs. I had mountaintops and valleys. I lived on the peak and I also lived at the bottom. But, but that day forever changed my life. And I want you to know that the same thing that happened to me can happen to you and can happen to the people that you know and the people that you love because it's God's desire for everyone to be saved. Now, if your Bible is open to, to Acts chapter 16, I want to give you a little bit of background before we jump into this passage. In Acts chapter 16, Paul was just beginning his second missionary journey. Once Paul became a follower of Jesus, his one goal, his one aim, his one mission in life was to share with others the good news of God's grace and God's forgiveness. And he made that his life's ambition. And he traveled all around the world sharing the good news that God loves us and that Jesus can save us. And on this second missionary journey, he took with him Timothy and he took with him Silas, and later on Luke joined them in that missionary journey, and they began to travel. And as they began to travel and share the good news, Paul had a desire to share the gospel in Asia. But for some reason, somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit deterred him. The Holy Spirit kept Paul from going to Asia to share the gospel. Now we're not told why, but we can assume why. Because several days later, Paul had a vision. He had a vision of a man from northern Greece, from Macedonia, crying out, come here and help us. And Paul took that to be a message from God that the harvest was ripe and ready to be plucked in Macedonia, in northern Greece. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke got on a boat and they headed to Macedonia. And when they got there, the very first city that they went into was a city called Philippi. The Bible says that it was a colony of Rome. What that means is that, that the Roman Empire established this city. And they set it up as an outpost for the empire of Rome. It was inhabited by Roman citizens, and it was supported by Roman customs. And so Paul went there to share the good news. And that's where I want us to pick up, beginning in verse 13. And so listen to what it says. Follow along, either in your Bibles or on the screen. It says, on the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some of the women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged until we agreed. Now let's stop right there for a few minutes. When Paul arrived in Philippi, he went to a place at the river 
because he heard that people met there for prayer. You see, Paul always, whenever he went to a city, would initially share the gospel with those that he felt like would be most receptive to the gospel. And as we go through our life, we're going to find people at different stages in their spiritual journey. There are going to be some who are ripe and ready to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. There are going to be others, there are going to be many that are not ready. They're going to have to be prepared. They're going to have to be worked with. And we know that there are some who are never going to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. So Paul and, and these other men went to the river to meet these people who had gathered for prayer. And when he got there, he found a group of women. And one of the women there was a woman named Lydia. Now there are two things that you need to know about Lydia. The first was she was a fashionista. She was in the clothing business, and, and evidently she was very successful at what she did. She was a seller of purple, and purple cloth was very expensive. The reason it was expensive is because the only way you could make it is from the, the, um, the um, fluid that came out of a shellfish, and, and you could only get one drop out of one shellfish. So imagine the amount of shellfish that you would have to use to dye one garment purple. This was a very expensive line of clothes. Um, it was something that, that only the upper class could afford to buy. And so I want you to picture a woman who was very classy, who was well-dressed, who was successful, who was driven, who was a businesswoman. She most likely went to all of the social events that were going on in Philippi and she had anything she wanted and she had all the friends that she could possibly need. Now some of us have the idea that if we have a good job and we have success and we have lots of friends and we're looked up in, or we're looked up to in the community, we don't need Jesus. And yet here was this woman who was part of the high class, who was very successful, who had many friends, who knew there was something missing in her life. There are some of you here this morning who have everything that this world has to offer. Now there may be people who have more than you do, but there are certainly a lot of people who have less than you do. And if truth is told... You have everything that you need, and you have a lot of things that you want. But in spite of all of those things, deep down inside, there's something still missing. Deep down inside, you're still empty. And that was Lydia. But notice the second truth about Lydia. She was religious. She worshipped God. Now, most likely that meant that she was a Gentile convert to Judaism. But what that tells us is that she found the gods of the Roman Empire lacking. And so she began searching. She wanted a relationship with God. And so she turned to Judaism. And she was at this prayer meeting, and she was probably meeting with others to study the sacred scriptures. And yet, in spite of all her religious activity, 
She was still empty inside. There was something missing. And that's where some of you are this morning. You're religious. You worship God. You pray. You read the Bible. You come to church. When the offering plate is passed, you drop in some money. You really do want to do good. You have a desire to know God. But this morning, if you were completely honest and you sit here in this seat, you would have to admit that deep down in your heart of hearts, something is still missing. Something is still lacking. You're doing all of the right things, the things that you've been told to do, and yet you still feel empty inside. And that was Lydia. So notice what happens. Paul comes and he begins to talk to them. He opens up God's word. Now what did he share with them? Well, we assume that he shared the same thing that he shared everywhere else he went. He shared the good news about Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that as Lydia listened, the Lord opened up her heart. Here's what the Bible says. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So you and I have a responsibility, those of us who know Jesus, we have a responsibility to share the good news about Jesus with others. We have that responsibility because faith comes by hearing. But understand, all you can do, all you can ever do is share the good news. You can't save anyone. You can't change anyone's heart. That's God's responsibility, and only God can do it. I want you to listen to me, because this may speak to some of you. At some time in the past, you may have walked down an aisle in a church. You may have filled out a card in a church. You may have even been baptized in a church. You went through all of these motions, and yet as you look back at that moment, if you're honest, you would have to admit that God didn't open up your heart. You didn't come under conviction like it talks about in John 16 where it says when the Spirit comes, He will convict us of our sin and, and of righteousness and the judgment to come. You see, that's God opening up our hearts. And so the Bible says she listened to what Paul said. God opened up her heart and she accepted the message. She was saved. And notice what happens next. She was baptized with her whole family. Now to understand, baptism doesn't save you. But look at me. There's no way around reading the Word of God without seeing that every person that was saved was baptized. She gave her life to Jesus, she accepted Jesus, she went home, she told her family what she did, she told her family what Jesus had done for her, her family accepted the good news, and together they were baptized as a family. Now let's move on, beginning of verse 16. One day as we were going to a place of prayer, we met a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her master. She 
followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials, they are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Now the second person we meet is a demon-possessed slave girl. Lydia and this slave girl were as different as night and day. Lydia was from the upper class. This slave girl was from the lower class. Lydia was a cultured lady. This slave girl was a captive slave. Lydia was a successful businesswoman. This, this slave girl was demon-possessed. Lydia had a tender heart. This slave girl had a tortured heart. We don't know how she became demon-possessed, Obviously, at some point in time, she opened up her life to Satan's control. And when she did, a demon came in and took control of her. She was a slave not only to, to a demon, she was a slave to abusive men. Destructive demons, abusive men. And her life was a wreck. Now, this demon that possessed her, somehow gave her the ability to foretell the future. Now, let me say before we go any further, demons don't know the future. They don't know how to tell the future. They're not omniscient. They don't know everything. But demons are intelligent. Demons do watch us. And demons have a network of other demons. And as they look and as they observe and as they watch and they discover patterns and as they communicate among themselves, they can, they can tell things that are going to happen in our life. It's kind of like when crazy people today go to a fortune teller and that fortune teller tells them something. How does that fortune teller tell them things that are halfway right? Well, one, they may be possessed by a demon just like this lady was. But the other thing is some of them are just very intuitive. They're observant. They watch. They listen. And they learn. And, and then they make presumptions that are oftentimes correct. If I sit down with you for an hour and ask you a number of questions, I could foretell some things about your future just like you could about mine. So this demon didn't have the ability to see the future. And yet this demon, because of his observation and because of his intelligence and the network they had, was able to, to correctly predict what was going to happen oftentimes. And because of this, the owners of this girl were making a lot of money. Now, this demon-possessed girl followed Paul and Silas around everywhere they went. And as they followed them around, she yelled this. She shouted this. These men are servants of the Most High God. They're here to tell us how to be saved. Now to understand, they weren't, she wasn't saying that to get people to be saved. 
she was saying that primarily to mock them, to ridicule them, to make fun of them, to distract what they were doing. Now, some people can communicate with all kinds of things going on, but, but I'm here to tell you, if you start carrying on a conversation with someone else, as I'm preaching, using your outside voice, it's going to be a distraction to me. And the Bible says this went on day after day until finally Paul said, enough is enough. And he said, in the name of Jesus, I command you, demon, to leave this girl. And immediately she was set free. Now listen to me. There are some of you here this morning who are in bondage. Maybe not to a demon, but there are some of you here this morning who are in bondage to things that are destroying your life. It could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be some other addiction. It could be a way of thinking. But I'm here to tell you this morning that praise God, Jesus Christ can set you free. You can know the truth. And the truth can set you free. The power of Jesus is stronger than the power of alcohol. The power of Jesus is stronger than the power of any drug. The power of Jesus is stronger than any kind of sexual temptation. The power of Jesus is stronger than any kind of false thinking. Jesus can set you free. That's what he did to this girl. Now let's start back in verse 22. Amalek quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown in prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon, maximum security, and clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was this massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open. The chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling for Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds, and he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Now when the owners of this slave girl saw that they could no longer make money through her, they took Paul and Silas and dragged them before the rulers. They had them beaten mercilessly with rods. And then this is where we meet the jailer. Now jailers were were highly decorated often Roman soldiers who, who as a retirement gift were given jails to run. And so these men most likely would have been older. They would have been hardened soldiers. 
He would have been part of the ruling class of Philippi. I'm sure with all of the fighting, with all of the bloodshed, with all of the killing, with all the crime that he had seen, he had become somewhat cynical. Now when Paul and Silas were taken to him, they commanded him, do not let them escape. So he took them, put them in the inner prison. That was the lowest part of the building, the most secure part of the building. But being the lowest part of the building, it was also the place where all the waste circulated to. And so it was dark, it was damp, it was smelly. The Bible says their feet were put in stocks, and probably we're thinking of stocks that we've seen in movies, wooden stocks, but that's not what this was. Roman stocks were chains that were connected to the ceiling. Their ankles would be put in the chains, and then they would be pulled up by the chain so that only their shoulders were touching the ground. Then they would take rods and they would beat the bottom of their feet until they were bruised and they were bleeding. This is most likely what happened to Paul and Silas. They had been beaten outside. Now they were taken into this prison and they were beaten and they were left hanging upside down. About midnight, they started singing. But they weren't singing the blues. They were singing praise songs. And they were praying out to God to the point that all of the prisoners heard them. And then God did something. God brought an earthquake. An earthquake that shook the very foundation of that jail. An earthquake that was so supernatural that all of the stocks that they were in, all of the prisoners came loose where they all could be set free. And the jailer woke up and realized all the doors were open. He assumed that all of the prisoners had escaped. And so he was about to kill himself. The reason is because jailers were responsible for their prisoners. If a prisoner escaped, then the jailer's life would be taken. This helped them realize how important it was to keep their prisoners prisoned, but it also kept them from, from taking bribes. And so when he saw that all the prisoners could have escaped, he was ready to kill himself, but Paul cried out, don't harm yourself, don't kill yourself, we're still here. And, and that's when this battle hardened jailer came trembling before Paul and Silas and said what do I have to do to be saved Paul said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved but but not only will you be saved your family will be saved as well and the Bible says he began to open up him to him the Word of God and that night he and his entire family got saved and they were baptized now let me share with you three quick truths and then we're going to wrap this up. Here's the first truth. God wants to save everybody. It's interesting to me, the people that God highlights in the city of Philippi for salvation. I mean, many people, hundreds of people most likely were saved. Maybe even thousands of people were saved in Philippi. 
And yet God in his sovereignty chose these three to highlight. Why does God choose these three different people? I believe it is because God is wanting to show us that the gospel is for anybody and everybody. You see, every Jewish man would get up every morning and he would pray this prayer. Lord, I thank you that I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. And yet, those are the three that God highlights for salvation. A woman, Lydia. A slave, the demon-possessed girl. And a Gentile, this battle-hardened, cynical jailer. You see, God wants to save everybody. Lydia was a worshiper of God, a, a seeker, and yet she needed Jesus. And there are some of you here this morning who were just like Lydia. You're a good person. You would describe yourself as someone who loves God. You come to church. You pray. You do all of these things, and yet you know, you know in your heart of hearts that something is missing. And what is missing is you've never truly surrendered to Jesus. He's never saved you. He's never opened your heart. And like Lydia, you need to be saved. There are others of you who are just like this slave girl who was possessed by a demon, a captive, and that's where you are. You're, you're broken and you're in bondage to, to addictions and, and, and thoughts that are holding you captive. And right here this morning, you're thinking, I have no hope. I've been addicted to this far and you can fill in the blanks. I've tried this support group, and, and I've tried this class, and I've done this, and nothing has worked. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus will work. You can know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And that doesn't mean that, that it won't be difficult. It doesn't mean that as you take this journey, you're not going to have to gather yourself with other believers. You're going to have to. But I'm here to tell you that just like this slave girl, Jesus can set you free. And there are others of you who are just like this jailer who was a hardened soldier. He was a cynic. He wasn't seeking God. He just wanted to live his life in the midst of it all. He had killed people. He had maimed people. He wasn't a good man. And yet, God showed up. Jesus showed off, and this man was saved. Listen, whoever you are, whatever you've done, God wants to save you. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says this, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. God wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. What is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God wants everyone to know Jesus. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, some people think. No, he's patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. 
We oftentimes wonder why God doesn't judge people. It's because God is patient. God is loving. And he wants to give each and every one of us an opportunity to repent. God wants to save everyone. But everyone must choose to accept the message. Lydia did. The jailer did. And even though it doesn't say it expressly, I believe it is obvious that the slave girl did. And you do too. The jailer said, what must I do? He knew that this was something that he had to do. His mother or father couldn't do it for him. His grandmother or grandfather couldn't do it for him. A pastor or a priest couldn't do it for him. No, this was something he had to do. No one else can accept Jesus for you. I've occasionally had people, when they're in a bind, when they're caught up in sin, they say, will you pray for me? And my response is, pray for yourself. Cry out to God. God will hear your prayer. God wants to set you free. Now, how do we accept the message? Paul says we must believe or we must accept that Jesus is our Savior. To be our Savior, that means that we have to be saved from something. What is it we're saved from? We're saved from sin. We are sinners separated from God, and we all need a Savior. So to be saved, you have to first acknowledge that you're a sinner, and there's nothing that you can do about your sin. You've rebelled against God. You've disobeyed God, and you need someone to come in and intervene on your behalf. We need a Savior. You've got to believe that Jesus is your Savior, that he did what you can't do. He paid the price for your sin. And second, we must accept him as our Lord. The Bible refers to Jesus as Lord over 400 times. I occasionally hear people say, well, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, but not my Lord. What? Where do we get that idea from? Not, not the Bible. Not God's Word. No, when Jesus becomes your Savior, if he does... He becomes your Lord. He is our Savior and our Lord, the master of our lives. Jesus wants to save everyone. We must accept him by believing that he is our Savior and our Lord. And then the third truth that we see in this is this. When we are saved, we will be baptized. We see this throughout Scripture twice in this passage. When Lydia got saved, one of the very first things she did was be baptized. When the Philippian jailer got saved, one of the very first things he did was be baptized. And so let me ask you two questions, if I may. First of all, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Have you done that? Have you accepted him? Have you received him? Has he changed your life? Second question, have you given evidence that you've done that through being baptized? Baptism isn't going to save you, but it is one of the evidences that we have been saved. Would you bow your head with me? Close your eyes.
with every head bowed and with every eye closed. If you're here this morning, and as I have opened up God's word, God has opened up your heart. And right now, you see your need to be saved. Would you join me in praying this prayer? Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me. I know I am a sinner. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. You lived a perfect life. You died on the cross for my sins. You rose from the grave defeating sin and death for me. Today, I'm trusting you to save me. Today, I'm giving you my life. You're my Lord. Come into my life. Come into my heart. And take control. Amen.